Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we own horror to progressive standards never agree to. We're talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show tonight. I am Jeremy Whitley. I am your host, and this is my panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all your favorite movies. My co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Man, I want to fucking time warp back to the 70s because everyone is hot as hell back then. Right. This is such a sexy people. cast. Let's go back. Back to the 70s. Everyone had it going on. And we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comics writer Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Apparently I am the Cinnabon of Cinnabites, which has very little to do with this movie, but... Um, boss-ass title. And you can put it on your business cards. Our guest tonight, returning guest, artist, friend, friend of the podcast, Ben's partner, and Rocky Horror performer emeritus, Kathleen Kralowick. Good to and, be back and always good to talk about Rocky. Oh, yeah. And that that we are definitely going to do. And I also brought with me one extra guest, English educator, Frankenstein enthusiast, and frequent comics editor, Alicia Whitley. Alicia, how are you? Hello, I'm doing great. I'm just here for the, for the Frankenstein. So a little bit on our basics here. The director of the film is Jim Sharman. Who also did Shock Treatment, which is the follow-up to this movie, and The Night, The Prowler. It is written by Richard O'Brien and Jim Sherman. Richard O'Brien also wrote the original stage play and performed in it and is in the movie as well as Riff Raff. It stars Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, Richard O'Brien, Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, Jonathan Adams, Peter Hinwood, Meatloaf. We could go on and on. It's a great cast. What IMDb says it's about is a newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated area and must seek shelter in the bizarre residence of Dr. Frank N. Furter. No. Nope, swing and a miss, IMDb. <laughs> that implies both that there's more plot that there is, and that description does not give you any sense of the tone of movie you're in for. I am curious about everybody's first experience seeing this movie, whether it was in person or... My person. first experience with Rocky Horror was I think me and Kathleen's like third date when she brought me to like a live theater production of Rocky Horror. And I was so confused why I was I think yelling in, at in San Jose. Yes, I think I was yelling at it and you were it like, stop me- being rude to the person. I didn't understand it. <laughs> what are you doing, you groundling? <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw Rocky on VHS I rented it in high school and, and like, I was so confused by this movie. I saw it alone. I saw it in my house. I had no context. I had no awareness. I was like, okay, this movie. But what's even more interesting is my second viewing of it. It was good that I had had it seen it once because in college, there was a girl in my French class and she's like spending all of French class talking in French about how much she hates her ex-fiance. She turns to me and she's like, you know what? I'm directing a Rocky Horror Picture Show performance. Have you ever heard of the Rocky Horror Picture Show? I'm like, yeah, I think I saw that movie when she's like, I'm directing it. You should come and try out. And I'm like, me on stage? I don't know. And so like, I didn't even plan to go, but it just so happened that like one night I'm getting out of the cafe super late and I see in like, 
the dorm across the the street or something like people clearly like I'm like oh that's the tryouts and I walk in and that girl pulls me up onto the like tryout floor and she's like okay y'all gotta dance sexy we can only have sexy sexually liberated people performing in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and so we all dance to sexy music in front of a bunch she's like because you have to be able to be sexy in front of strangers so we did and then she was like okay I want you to read the part of Riff Raff and I was like I asked somebody to the side, who is that? And 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 they were like, it's that, it's the like, the uh, the hunchback guy. I'm like, oh, that guy. Mm-hmm. And I read the lines and I got cast as that. Nice. What was the sexy music? It was cheesy porn mu- background music from the 90s. Oh, like, so it was like, like careless yeah, like, or whatever. It was the dumbest. <laughs> it was like, bro. You started saying oh. like classic porn sound and I had a very specific sound in my head. And then you said in the 90s, and then like a Pearl Jam guitar riff got <laughs> added to that like 70s porn sound. I like that I'm feeding your imagination and your mind responds with the repertoire that it has. I'm just hearing Bow Chicka Wow Wow in a Honga Donga Dang voice, and it's not. It's honestly kind Dang of hard wow, for wow. me to remember. And while we're talking about this, I feel like my own memory is starting to be transformed and I'm not even sure if I could retrieve the honest. At least what was I your experience friend. With, the, uh, with the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Well, I think the first time I saw the show was in college with you and some other people. I can't remember who it was, but we were at the Rialto? Maybe? So going to the, the live interactive show was the first time you'd actually seen the movie? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I had never seen the movie before that. Oh. It was like Here's some toilet paper. You will need this. <laughs> what, why is this happening? I thought we were just here to enjoy a nice movie. <laughs> I was not ready. They they did give us a tutorial beforehand. I remember being unhappy that somebody did throw something and it hit me and I was not happy. Oh. I, was I did jump up in the front to do the time warp. I did join in the oh, nice. line of people that yeah danced around oh, how but good is this the time my, warp this was my second time seeing it oh. and my first time seeing it without any oh, sort of audience present mm. so like i could actually like pay attention to what was happening in mm-hmm. the show like oh <laughs> yeah that was quite an that was an experience so that's why i have two pages of furious notes and then currently looking up how to pronounce a word i'm not sure about so (laughs) yeah i i think my first time seeing the rocky horror picture was actually with my parents on vhs that's not a good movie to see with your parents i think i watched it with my mom and i think like i was young enough to not be embarrassed just confused at that point which i think is the the reason i saw it then i have questions uh, for mama whitley first off first off and most important how hot is Tim Curry? Am I right, Mama Whitley? <laughs> That's an ageless question. I think we can all agree that Tim Curry was... Tim uh, Curry is a fucking smoke show in this movie. I, I believe as we were watching it last night, I turned to Alicia and said, Barry Bostwick has surprisingly nice legs. He's a snack. That's fun. He's a snack. He's like a full meal. Talk about Frankenfurter. I at pictures of his character and him now, and I can't figure out how they're the same person. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but I'll just... I think Barry Bostwick is incredibly attractive. Current Barry Bostwick? That's Did you want to sit all the way? Because, hoo-ha. I'm not even saying, like, he's unattractive now, like, for his age. I'm just saying it's like, oh, 
I wouldn't have imagined this young you face being this old. And I wouldn't have imagined your old face having been that when you were young. Yeah, but both he and Susan Sarandon are still incredibly attractive. But I'm going to tell my story mm-hmm. about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. I have three very quick vignettes. First time I saw it was on video in South Africa with a family that we were visiting who were related to a longtime family friend who had actually seen it as a stage show. And she had actually seen it with Tim Curry. And as we were watching it, she was telling us all this stuff about stuff he would do. I was in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I was just on the like the windswept precipice of goth. I do know that Tim Curry would like throw confetti out into the the audience and stuff. And their audience participation was like part of the original stage show. So that was a thing. And then we had a weekly Rocky Horror Picture Show in Sacramento at one of those little budget theaters called The Birdcage in Citrus Heights. Definitely no longer there but midnight every saturday and it so it was the thing that we would do in town and i started doing that when i was like a freshman in high school and i did it a lot like throughout into college and i managed to see that because i knew a bunch of the people at my school who were in the um in the show the group was really solid and they didn't have like an instruction sheet but they had a guy who would like call out and prompt you it was fantastic. And then my third vignette is that I, I brought some younger friends that were a part of like my comics classes when they were 18. And they were like, I want to check out Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I was like, I talked to their folks and I'm like, is it cool if I take them to Rocky Horror Picture Show? And I remember this one person who was asking, like trying to figure out whether their folks, because their mom was like really fundamental but apparently their dad was like, they need to see it. Mm-hmm. Like they demanded, they're like, they need to see this. This needs to happen. As long as you're taking them. They to need s- to know what wickedness is out there in the world. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the mom was like, I hear this is an occult film. Oh, oh cult. my God, that's funny. Classic. An occult cult film, classic. that's it's an, and we're like, No, it's a cult classic. It's fine. That's but it's not an occult film. Now that person is this fucking fly-ass uh, dance instructor in Washington State. So if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Big ups, love you. But yeah, there it's it's some really fun times there. I think it's fair to say for y'all. It's a transformative experience. Yes. So question for y'all. Is it really possible to recap this movie? I can tell you what my director told us when someone asked her what is the plot of this movie? But it's long. The plot is shut the fuck up and be gay. That's that's the message. Is that the message? Is, I have a lot of questions about this. So yeah, I just want to hear everybody's takes. There yeah. are a few cut scenes that are still in the script that you can find online that aren't in the movie anymore. And one of them is like this song at the very end about superheroes and about corruption and about people becoming corrupted, superheroes coming to feast upon the flesh, not yet deceased and still the beast is feeding and they reveal this like dark serious undertone about basically about like corruption and corruptibility and about how the innocent cannot escape intact from this world at the very end and they have not kept that in the in the movie as 
we saw it at least. I have seen the movie where they sing that right after the castle goes into the sky and right before the criminologist says the very last thing. It's Janet and Brad on the ground in their sexed out stuff. And they have just been like demoralized, basically. They have gone from their vanilla origins to like what Frankenfair has made of them, which is like this slutty, totally divergenized, totally corrupted, like no uh, ethics anymore versions of themselves, which is, I guess- AKA? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made them Guess what? Aw- I wonder why they them cut hot that. And awesome. From the I wonder final why they form. cut that as well because that would have been yeah. that would have been really helpful in mm. rewatching this. For, Dr. Frankenfurter is certainly captivating and fascinating and oddly lovable, except <laughs> right. also jealous, cruel predatory, like all of those things all at once. So I think the idea of our superheroes being corruptible, like having too much power and how power Mm -hmm. can corrupt. I think that would have been helpful for me as far as the message of this movie goes, because I had so many feelings in re-watching this. So you're Mm. the expert, so I will defer (laughs) to you. But I was hoping that we could do at least a little bit of a recap because I wanted to jump into coming at this from a British lit perspective. Yes. The the connection that I was seeing between the original Frankenstein and its treatment of gender and this story. So, of course, well, first of all, what do you all know about Frankenstein before I like get into a lecture? So Frankenstein facts. Yeah. What do you know? Uh, He's a children's swim coach. Right. Yes. Next. (laughs) Mary Shelley has her heart, the husband of her. Wait, her heart's wait. The hus wait. <laughs> she has her husband's heart and she carries it around with her. Really? Is that true? I don't yes, know. Yes, that is true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. They they were pretty fucking macabre in the 19th century. Mary, sure. They didn't fuck wow. around. In the 19th no century. wonder she invented Frankenstein. Uh, my Frankenstein fact Frankenstein isn't actually supposed to be green. That's just the color they painted him because the contract looked the best in black and white film. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good fact. That's a good that's fact. A really good fact. That's a really good fact. Um, also, yeah. the Adams family house is pink. Was it really? Yes. Yeah, because of the because all that no, none of that stuff was designed back then right. to be like realistic. See, it was I, all designed to have like the best contrast on a I black and white it film. Would be like blue, that powder blue color that like shows up in black and white as like nothing. White. Yeah, there's non-photo blue and there's also non-photo red. Like there's a non-photo oh, red. But then interesting. I didn't the, realize that the more saturated red gets the darker it appears on black and white film. So yeah, red is one of those colors that really reacts to light and black and white. So the Adams family house was all in shades of pink and red, but wow. this has, other than lurch, this has not a lot to do with Frankenstein, but yeah. So the Frankenstein story from what I remember which is, I think I did read it in high school and I have only, I'm only academically, I've read about it since what I like to call academically familiar. I've read a Wikipedia article. Nice. Um, yes. My uh, main experience with Frankenstein was I saw the Royal London Theater production of Frankenstein ooh. where Benedict Cumberbatch was the monster and Johnny Lee Miller was Dr. Frankenstein. Ooh, nice. Wow, Fucking nice. phenomenal. Favorite play I've ever seen, to be honest. Yeah, awesome. Emily, you were going to say, though, what do you remember? Oh, from yes, high I'm school? sorry. It's okay. 
Well, I'm sorry. I am pardoning you for someone else. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, Emily. I... <laughs> See, I th- this is very anticlimactic because I don't remember much. Mm. What I remember most is the adaptation by Jinji Ito I read recently. Oh, okay. Mm. I haven't read that. Hey, that sounds awesome, though. It's really good. That's and amazing. That's where Dr. Frankenstein's like, I have an idea, something, something, alchemy. I'm going to make a guy. And, and then the guy's like, this sucks. And Dr. Frankenstein is like, okay, maybe more feedback. And then he's like, I want to, I want a girlfriend or love. And Dr. Frankenstein's like, okay, hold up. <laughs> I guess I'll just do it again. And then hijinks ensue. Yeah, okay. you, got, you pretty much got it. So go back with me, if you will. Travel back in your mind to 1815. Are you there? It smells. It like probably does. <laughs> it probably does smell Where in the it? city. It's 1815. Mary Shelley is an 18 year old woman who is married. She's just like, I think if I. Oh, this is a real exciting time for me, especially. I think I'm finally allowed in most European countries again. (laughs) Finally, you're making a comeback. I'm still probably a servant somewhere. So as members I'm not of doing, our I'm not doing do, well. I'm just leaving. Yeah, I was gonna say to as members of there. our groups do, we don't really like to play the time travel game that much. I know that there that's a very popular question of oh, what time would you go back to? I'm black. Like, None of them. Not even yeah, again, sure like, I wanna be in this one. I talked mm. about the sun, everyone being hot in the 70s when I go back there. That's kind of my limit. I can go I, back I, to the 70s. I think I could deal with going back to Mansa Musa times, but we can, <laughs> like, if I get to go all the way back, then we're probably yeah. pretty good. I do have a little thing I can add to this. One of my favorite podcasts, Noble Blood, hosted by Dana Schwartz, actually just recently did an episode on, like, Mary Shelley and the whole summer at the... Villa. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. So I was going to talk about a year without a summer. Do you want to take it away? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Let's talk about the year without a summer. Yeah. Let's talk about the year without a summer. So it's 1815. Mount Tambora has erupted and they were already in a little bit of an ice age starting at about 1810, but Mount Tambora really like sets things over the edge. There's ash in the air. Everything gets cold. That's the year without a summer because climate change is a real thing. So that's the reason why Mary Shelley, when she's going off with her man, Percy Bysshe Shelley and her sister, and uh, they're going off to Lord Byron's like chalet or whatever. That's the reason, like, I think they were in Lake Geneva. That's the reason Mm -hmm. why they decided to stay inside and have like a little, who can make the best scary story game because they couldn't go outside. It was like June or July, I cannot remember the month. But it was the middle of summer and they decided to stay inside and like write and tell each other scary stories because the weather sucked because there was, it was like a small ice age. So mm-hmm. that was known as the year without a summer. That's the reason why we have science fiction. Also, Lord Byron is Ada Lovelace's dad, which I just learned like two years ago. So Lord Byron yeah. is the reason why we have Frankenstein, Dracula and computers. Wow. Fucking G. Well, I mean, he did get around. He did. And Hmm. also one of his kids may have been with his half sister, but we can talk about that on another podcast (laughs) at another time. They were so famous. Like they were the celebrities of their day. Mm. Yeah. Like Byron and Shelly and stuff. Like they were 
mega stars. Do you think in a hundred years people will be talking about like Kim and Kanye and Pete Davidson <laughs> and stuff like like I we're talking? I guess <laughs> honestly, if anything's gonna like survive, yeah. like yeah, it's honestly probably gonna be like fucking Taylor Swift, Spears. It's gonna be Oprah. Okay, so we are at this party. And Mary Shelley, she has lost her baby. So she's been having these dreams. And she writes about having these dreams about waking up and her baby being there and being warm and her being able to nurse her baby. And that's where she gets this idea about bringing things back to life, right? So that's where she starts writing the story about Frankenstein, who Victor Frankenstein wants to bring back things to life because his mother in the story has passed away. Okay, so she writes Frankenstein. And she basically writes the story. She's a woman. She's a writer. She's like the first science fiction writer. She's a total badass. And she writes the story in which all of the women are like, oh, it's me. Which is not her. Was not her mother. Her mother was like freaking Mary Wollstonecraft and wrote like the Vindication on the Rights of Women. This was not the person her dad raised her to be. Like William Godwin always had her hanging out with other writers and philosophers and thinkers and you know, it was like a huge feminist at the time, but she writes the men as selfish, aggressive, self-aggrandizing, overly emotional, irrational um, creatures. And Victor Frankenstein's big crime is not just in doing the whole Satan thing where he's like, I'm going to be bigger than God, right? He's got the hubris there, but he also like attempts to cut women out of the process of birth of reproduction so there's all these mother daughter father son issues in the book that come to light but there have been a lot of trans readings of frankenstein and i don't know if you're familiar with like susan Stryker's work she wrote this monologue she's a professor of gender and women's studies at um, the university of arizona but she wrote my words to victor frankenstein above the village of chamonix or Chamonix, that's what I was looking up how to pronounce, can't remember it, in 1994. But basically, she talks about transgender rage and the use of Frankenstein, the monster in Frankenstein, the creation who is never named, who is often called an it, who is often misinterpreted. People look at the creation, and even though the creation has named himself Adam, he is never called by the name that he has chosen for himself. Oh, wow. He tries to reach out to make connections with other people, and they always make assumptions about who he is based on the body that he's in. And so she writes about the same rage that the creation has in my words to Victor Frankenstein. Um, so that transgender reading of, I think, the creation as being something that is not natural as being something that is created by science stitched up sewn together and looked at as a different way like a lot of transgender writers have felt uh, an affinity for what the creation is going through here and unlike in movies the way that the creature and whenever i teach frankenstein the thing that my students are all surprised about is how the creature talks right like we all have seen the movie and how the creature talks the creature is always like, fire, right? Yeah. yeah. In mm-hmm. the book, yeah. the creature is incredibly eloquent, very mm. well-spoken, has read wow. tons of books, has read Paradise Lost, has educated himself and writes like beautifully and eloquently telling his story. I would say that's one thing I absolutely love about the theatrical version where like 
the version I saw, the monster, it's it's Benedict fucking Cumberbatch. Like, right, yeah. you're not gonna get the voice of Smaug to be like, right. yeah, like oh. he is like that's he is this like super eloquent, loquacious philosopher. Like, yes. he's he's incredible. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the most incredible things about that story is that we are not only talking about this narrative of playing God and defying the laws of nature or whatever, but we also have a perspective, a very eloquent and well-written perspective from an outsider. Yes. And I think there's a lot to be said about a story about humanity from the perspective of it's not entirely from the monster's perspective but a lot of it is outside of a human perspective absolutely and i think yeah so that's one of the most incredible things to me about the frankenstein story and there's a lot there's a lot in there but continue alicia i want to hear more Um, about yeah so there's just the moment where the monster basically as adam goes to like we all know the creation story in genesis right adam sees that everyone else has a partner everyone else had all the other animals have someone to pair up with and adam is alone and adam goes to god and is like hey can uh, i get a buddy down here right and so depending on like which oh my god can we get a version of the bible of this ridiculous like new york adam hey, 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 hey. you you gazelle Yo, god, you hey. bears hey get the fuck out of here you plan of boys <laughs> That's hey, I'm naked here. Platypus, I guess. Nah. <laughs> I'm walking here. What the fuck am I supposed to be looking at? <laughs> You're ridiculous. Yo, right. God, can I get a partner down here? <laughs> hey, God, can I get a partner? That's okay because whenever how many I talk- rigs? Are, how many ribs a guy gotta give up to get a bride down? Ah. <laughs> well, I was gonna say like whenever I tell like stories from the Bible to my students, Jesus is always a like super hippie like. Yeah. Guy. I'm a, oh, my, my Jesus character is always like, hey guys, let's just, you know, all chill out. Yeah. But I guess my Adam is like, I don't know. I love watching it. Taxi driver. I, I love it so hard. <laughs> Which is funny because Robert De Niro played the monster. Oh, yeah. The creation. Yeah, see, and the- there we go. There we go. That's the connection. That's the connection. I just really want to do like super New York Bible stories now, or even if it's you, it's like, hey, I'm Messiah and over he is. (laughs) You're going to call him Emmanuel, okay? (laughs) What are you feeding me the lions now? This is crazy. (laughs) You think you can get those apostles working on Sunday? It's in the union contract. All right, so I was going to say that depending on which story you go with, right, maybe God created Lilith first and made her out of clay, and she was just too sassy and too rebellious, had to kick her out. So then he put Adam to sleep. He was like, you're going under. I'm going to take a rib from you. I'm going to make you a mate. So the creature (laughs) goes to Victor and was like, hey, I need a partner. And Victor's like, all right, I'll do it. And this is after like fainting a whole bunch and like being too sick to like function. Oh, and after letting a girl named Justine, justice for Justine, after letting Justine be unjustly 
murdered for killing his little brother because Victor wouldn't speak up and say, oh, I actually made a creature that probably did this. But skipping over all that. Oh, yeah. Which is terrible. He thinks about it and he says they might procreate. I mean, I know I made them all out of dead body parts, but they might procreate somehow. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make you a partner. He tears her up and the monster says, I'm going to get you for this. But Victor is only thinking about himself, does not consider that, oh, I'm about to get married soon. Maybe he's talking about my girl. And uh, she ends up moited. <laughs> she ends also, up like, I don't understand what the problem is. Like, worst case scenario, it would just be a regular human from like, who's ever like, reproductive hmm. organs you have dead reproductive organs you have to pull out also i'm pretty sure they can't reproduce i'm pretty sure they definitely can't reproduce like well they're so dead. i don't think you have to worry about yeah. that so i, you know, I wrote uh, the the paper that i wrote in college when we studied this book in my english 101 class was i i wrote about um that frankenstein is about womb envy Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that would explain why why Victor Frankenstein is like, no, you can't reproduce that way. I have to freaking be the one who's creating. I have to have that power. If I'm me. not creating, then what even is this? Mm-hmm. And the book goes, Victor goes on and on about how he wanted to make the most beautiful man ever. He had to, mm. he couldn't just make a little guy that he could take out if things go wrong. No, he wanted him to be eight feet tall. He put in extra femurs and junk. And I'm like, I don't think that's how legs work, but okay. Uh, wow. Johnny Lee Miller's play version of the Victor Frankenstein is like horny for science. And he's like, oh yeah, doing this. This is like me impregnating science. Basically. Like science, science is a woman. I'm fucking science. Basically, make, like, it's either science or sexual. Science. I remember them speaking so, in terms of like, I'm fake, I'm I'm dominating nature. Yes. Yeah. Nature is my bitch. And Basically. I'm yes. doing her as the man on top. Like, like this, I am the scientist who's dominating nature. Sexually, maybe. Yes, like. It's very sexually <laughs> predatory feeling against the personified concept of science. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's like, I'm going to make it beautiful. And he's going to big and he's going to have all these muscles. He's going to have this beautiful head of hair. He's just going to be gorgeous. And meanwhile, he's busy ignoring Elizabeth, who is his sister, essentially. Okay. So to back it up, Frankenstein's mom was essentially adopted. She was a ward of Frankenstein's dad after her father passed away. And then she always felt bad for poor people because she had been poor. So they go visit this family in Italy. They like to do poverty tours. That's just their thing. They go to poor people's houses and visit them and like give them treats and stuff. And they're like, that's her way of giving back. For her, it's charity. For Victor, it was like grocery shop. It was like shopping. Yeah. And she goes to this one house and she's like, I'm going to take that person's arms. Yeah. Victor talks about like, (laughs) Victor talks about how she goes to this Italian family's house and they have all these, I think dark, hearty little vagrants is what he calls them. All of the kids running around, but there's this one fair haired, blue eyed German noble angel baby. That's among them. And they're like, where'd you get that one? And they were like, Oh, her parents were like, 
nobles and her dad left her with us to go find her mom and then something happened to him and we've just been doing the best we can but we're really broke and victor's mom is like oh i'll take her i'll take her off your hands for you and you can keep your other kids and i'll take the one that looks like an angel and then brings her home and tells victor i got a little present for you and presents him with this girl and victor was like i was a stupid kid and took them like seriously and he said, I called her my more than sister since until death, she was to be mine only. Uh, and then when his mom so is weird. on her deathbed, she's like, it's my dearest wish to see you and Elizabeth married. And then she dies. And then he's like, okay, I guess I'm marrying Elizabeth. <laughs> wow. But he ignores her. Like to the yeah. point where his creation is like, I'm going to get you sucker. And he doesn't even think could you know maybe i should put some extra security is elizabeth no like yeah he doesn't not it's like a sister He's i know more than sister. Mm-hmm. yeah well uh, more than sister she has been so like wild. sold to their family like is she enslaved why she's bought essentially like she was yeah like i'm pretty sure she was essentially bought Fuck. And this isn't even the topic of the story. This no, is this, not even the this is just the back, the character backstory. <laughs> I wow. mean, sorry. Um, but yeah. World um, building. I was going to say that Susan Stryker also mentioned Alyssa Vistema, who actually committed suicide, I think in 1994, I want to say. But one of the things that she wrote, she was a trans woman, and one of the things that she wrote was that she felt like Frankenstein's monster. And this was a sentiment echoed by some of my own students when I was teaching Frankenstein. I had a trans student who wrote this beautiful essay about really feeling this very similarly to the monster because she had not started hormone therapy yet. And of course, I teach high school students, right? So she was going through puberty. She's growing a beard, trying to like shave it every day, trying to wear her hair in ways that is more feminine. But like, she felt like literally everybody sees me and they don't actually see me. So I really like, she just really connected with the creature. So that was like the first time that I thought about how that must feel and made that connection. This text, Rocky Horror Picture Show, takes a text that deals a lot with gender and deals a lot with rage and deals a lot with being unseen and puts it into this story. And I just wasn't really sure where to go with that. Mm. I did want to mention that the writer, you were talking about the writer, Richard Mm O'Brien, I think in 2016 um, said, trans women can't be women. And all was like, I think that's what JK Rowling meant. And like in 2020 yeah. was like, just want to clarify, I didn't mean anything like negative by it. Like if somebody wants to be a trans woman, like more power to them. And I'm so proud of them. Like good for you for standing in your truth. So brave. You're so right. But you can never actually be a real woman. And I just thought that was so interesting coming from the writer for of sure. for this sure. story. It's also, I mm-hmm. don't, look up to anybody <laughs> so, yeah and your heroes are gonna disappoint um, yeah, i like, get it yeah I, yeah yeah of Anywhere course now from- at age 78 i think he did a he said he was also like 70 percent male and like 30 percent female and he felt like yeah. he was in between and you know it's just easier to describe himself as being like third gender it just made life easier for him but his biggest concern now like 
post-stroke, I think he said was he missed being able to drink a bunch of red wine and smoke a couple of jazz cigarettes and the use of the term jazz cigarettes. I don't know. It was that's funny. It was funny. It was adorable. Yeah. That's is- so old that it's like, that's so like, that almost horseshoes back around. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like you told me you're going to go smoke a couple of jazz cigarettes and be like, ah, oh, cheese it boys. It's the coppers. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it's like it's so old timey and quaint that any like racial undertones almost just like fade away into like the time capsule carnivalness of it. Well, there's a for, again. Like, I feel like our people are really connected with that. I feel like black people and Jewish people, as far as the like jazz being evil connotations. I didn't really have anything else to add about Mary Shelley at this point. I think well, the, like. It's, it's interesting to me because I think Rocky Horror as a show and as a text takes a lot of interest in that idea of the creatures, not just Frankenstein, but, you know, they mentioned the creature from the Black Lagoon and King Kong and all of these different creatures that are seen as monsters that are trying to fulfill some sort of basic want and are hated and chased off by humanity. The only problem is Frankenfurter does act monstrously. Yeah, well, I think yeah. There's you don't who's, get. I who's think, your monster? Is it in a lot is it Rocky? Just like the muscly caveman. <laughs> He's the monster. Rocky yeah. is about, the creation. Like that's the, thing, like, the meaning yeah. I personally get from Rocky Horror Picture Show is the meaning I get from imagery and from moments. If I look at this story as a whole. I have no fucking idea what I'm supposed to be getting out of it. Well, this movie is a celebration of science fiction from the 70s, and it immediately jumps off there. And so we're talking about a post-Frankenstein's monster film adaptation understanding of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And Mm. that story really paints Dr. Frankenstein as the mo- the true monster. Oh, like Dr. Frankenstein point. is mm-hmm. the true monster. Yeah, I mean, the, he is. Yeah. One but of the finals right. oh, yeah. that I give my students is like this velociraptor going like, knowledge is knowing Frankenstein isn't the monster, wisdom is understanding that he <laughs> is. And then I ask them to explain it because Victor Frankenstein Ooh. is 100% the monster here. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Every but few also, years like, I think to myself, oh, what if someone did a story where Dr. Frankenstein didn't abandon the monster. And then I have to remind myself, Ben, you dumb, dumb. That's just young Frankenstein. Go watch young Frankenstein again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then, but the movie of Frankenstein has this whole thing where they really lean into making the monster other. Yeah. Right. So the evilness of Dr. Frankenstein has a slightly different kind of contrast where he is basically victimizing this kind of creature that is just trying to understand things around him and it's sort of the it's more like a fucked up parent story and you have that yeah. the playing god and the perception of, of power is really part of the the fucked up parent story i was just thinking like i, don't teach I feel like it. every interpretation of frankenstein is agreed that victor frankenstein is the monster it seems like where the real distinction in interpretations come from is whether the particular author thinks that Victor's original sin is creating the monster or abandoning the monster. Yeah, yeah. that's very poignant. I, I think what I was going to say is I think a lot of people have interpreted specifically the original film version 
which is directed by James Whale, who was himself a gay man, as this world in which Victor is sort of the society that's created this monster and then abandoned it. He's made the creature what the creature is, and then he literally runs away and refuses to teach him anything or interact with him in any way. And are, then- Are you course, saying the monster was born this way? Yes. He was born this way. Or as Tupac would say, it's thug life. The hate you give little infants fucks everyone is what thug life stands for. Wait, is that where and the title of the hate you give comes from? That's is it from exactly a- where the title oh, of the hate you give comes from. Oh, mind blown. That's awesome. It's, it's wow. thug life. The hate you give little infants fucks everyone. The creation is essentially made, given tons of hate. And then comes back to literally fuck everyone, which is what happens in Rocky Horror Picture Show. So yeah. but that's more literal. More ah. literal. Yeah. Um, would, okay, I, yeah, I don't it, even know how you would begin to recap the story. Like their car breaks down. They so, go well, try and find a fuck. I could, I could give a whirl if yes, you wanted. Kathleen, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Recap. Wanna, the, we can all pitch in. Okay. Yes. So we start off with Brad and Janet and they are the most normal vanilla yeah i have a question so we yes. start off with brad and janet as like normie vanilla couple yeah and like they're yeah. getting married at that church they're and- not getting married and janet yeah. catches the bouquet indicating that she's next yes and they're standing there and tim curry is yes. like in the background with easter egg and that's right yeah, they are in the background doing the doing the american gothic Yes, they are. Yes, they are in the back. Yeah. And yeah. then Brad and Janet get engaged, which if you're going to get engaged at someone else's wedding, I appreciate they waited until after the wedding. To <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that is Frankenfurter, Riff Raff, Columbia, and Magenta in the American Gothic clothes nice. disguised while they are singing uh, the first song. Damn it. Damn and it, notably, it. Yes. there are no cupcakes at this wedding. I know. I didn't right? see any cake whatsoever. I didn't see a lot of one cream cake. on the car. No. They weren't even throwing rice for birds to explode from. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I mean, it was a very one size fits. A- <laughs> it was a one, one size fits all church because right after the wedding, they were just turning the flowers around to be black for the funeral. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, they oh, were in a casket during Janet, I, during never, Janet. I actually never put that together. I oh, did wonder are. why there was a casket in that scene. Yeah. Besides, let's go fuck the guy in the casket. Yeah, aside from the necrophilia. We could, we could do another in the whole analysis of the callback lines, probably. Um, yes. Like a whole other layer of the movie. So, like, yeah, they Brad proposes to Janet, and they are like, now let's go and tell the our high school teacher who introduced us. Which is a hilarious thing to feel compelled to go personally. Let's tell tell. our high school science teacher who now chases UFOs for the government. So he lives on the other side of a spooky forest and or in wherever the hell this castle is. So they're they're drive through the spooky night because they're going to tell their science teacher from years ago that they... Before they tell their parents, they're telling their Before science they teacher. tell their parents, they're going to tell this. No matter what time of day it is, they get right in the car. Yeah. They may do a recording of Nixon resigning while they're going. Which is great. But it's I, we don't know if Brad and Janet have parents. Dr. Scott may be a father figure. I don't know. But <laughs> the important thing is True. that this is all after the credits with the... Lips. The lips. And... Dr. Everett Scott is listed as a rival scientist to Dr. Frankenfurter. Oh, I love so that detail. There's there's a little bit more going on there. I never noticed that. 
I know historically there's all sorts of crazy science rivalries. I want to know, and I'm not being facetious. I want to know who like the fucking new Yankee Red Sox of science are. I'm pretty sure there's something up there with the quantum physicist situation. Yeah, oh, them say, quantum physicists like the, are always the fucking beefing with each string other. string theory is probably up against everybody. Quantum physics is like half philosophical, though. Like half of it, there's a lot of it that actually is definable, but it it doesn't, quantum physics doesn't really get into this movie unless you count the time warp. Let's do the time warp again. Okay. So- <laughs> they time break warp. down in the forests. They see a castle, but castles don't have phone assholes, but there, we're, we're going to the castle anyway. We go to the <laughs> castle and it just happens. Riff Raff opens the door. They meet Riff Raff and his sister, Magenta. They are the household servants. They are also active sexual partners, incestuously having sex with this elbow maneuver, which is unique to them. Don't worry about it. That's totally in keeping with Frankenstein, just saying. Yes, the the incestuousness. Because of the the slavery (gasps) we we were talking about. Interesting point. Um, Catch that before, that's very interesting. So we have the Brad and Janet and um, introduced to the castle. And I think it's important that we also mention the criminologist, I think the guy without a neck. He is, yes, he is between the scenes, reviewing this whole story from a later date as though it is a crime that happens. You know, as a true crime fan. Yes. I really appreciated those bits. Yeah, well, it also creates this kind of lyrical narrative where you have almost like a chorus coming in. He's also this stuffy British man. Like the stuffy academic guy who is like with a necktie, like officiating this whole wacky story, which just makes the absurdity more extreme. It's like Like, Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail. Like the historian who just gets killed. Yeah, this guy doesn't doesn't get killed at the end. He just uh, leaves the room and you get to hear him tinkle. Frankenfurter, the famous evil scientist, has invited all these people that he knows from everywhere. Now, we, in, in our production, these people were called trannies. They were the extras who dance on the stage. They were all of the people who are in the little suits and ties. I know it did yeah, not that age didn't well. Age great. Has not aged well. But they were the they were the backup dancers in our production. They were called the trannies, and they're called referred to as the trannies. I think in the movie, and they are the unconventional conventionalists who are the fandom of Frankenfurter, and he has invited them tonight because he is going to reveal his creation that he's been working on which is Rocky. It's his birthday. He's going to open it up and turn him on, at literally, and they, uh, he is going to have sex with his creation. So he has invited them there as the birthday of Rocky and the celebration of another triumph because this is not Frankenfurter's first time around that carousel. Well, he's created before, which is meatloaf, but isn't meatloaf supposed to be the doctor's nephew? That's what I was going to ask. Okay. I was very confused So about that. here's the thing. 
During the time warp, Columbia has her little tap dancing and she's yes. all like, well, I was walking, walking down the street just to having a think where a freak of a guy gave me an evil wink. He shook me up. He took me by surprise. He had a pickup truck in the devil's eyes. He stared at me and I felt mm-hmm. a change. change. Time meant nothing, never would again. So Frankenfurter has been going around hypnotizing normal people and transforming them Got into it. corrupted. Oh, got it. So she was a normal person. So and Rocky was made Columbia. from scratch. Yes. So Rocky was made scratch. from scratch, but Eddie Meatloaf was, was a person that he found and Thank transformed. You. And he took half of his brain and created Rocky. So Rocky Thank is just straight you. up Rocky human. has half of Meatloaf's brain. Rocky this... is just straight up human transmutation. Mm-hmm. Answers. So for the longest time, I thought that the ensemble there at the castle mm-hmm. were also party. from. Yeah. We're from transsexual Transylvania. The way I interpret it, if I'm understanding correctly, and I don't think I'm understanding fucking anything correctly, is that the only ones from planet transsexual in the galaxy Transylvania are Frankenfurter, Riff Raff, and Magenta. And they sent the third impact. Is Frankenfurter the third impact? I wasn't going to go there, but thank I you. I you beat you to the open that door for me. I actually did. It's an Evangelion thing. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Jeremy's just absorbing Evangelion knowledge, like through osmosis, the way I do all everything I know about Dr. Who. I will say that I did illustrate for a, a zine that was a, uh, a zine about coming out and it was like Evangelion themed and this incredibly talented trans poet wrote a story about trans rage. It's very, it has the same sort of feel to the story you were talking about, Alicia. And the poem was about this awakening of something that feels like other. These days, a lot of creators try to be really positive in their message, but I think it's also important that we hear these stories of struggle because it's not, you know, it does get better, but it's not always great, you know? Well, that's why I try to end every story I write with. And then a meteor hits the earth. It, you, um, it usually, the editors usually cut it out, but I still try to put it into every script. Um, right. Just right at the end. So we already see Brad on. and Janet beginning to be corrupted. We see Janet is being tempted by things. Rocky's hot. She sees that. The, Brad is a little annoyed that Janet's beginning to transform into from the virgin to the whore because it's the virgin whore complex with yeah. Janet. And well, Brad, they're, they're taking his clothes off. They're not transforming. They're being forced into this, like... With yeah. the promise of, we will help you take off your clothes. It's a metamorphosis that is very... There are a lot of consent issues. Yeah, there are a lot of consent issues. definite consent issues. That is kind of the messed up thing. It's like, yeah. like this part of... It's, it's very rapey. And yeah. I understand that, you know, it's 1975 when they made this. And like, we have, I hope, progressed a lot farther in our understanding of consent since 1975. Mm-hmm. But them saying like... Oh, yeah, sure. We'll get you a phone. Just go ahead and take your clothes off. You got to, you know, and Brad going, yeah. oh, honey, they're foreigners. You know, we got to we got to do, so, what, do what they're, they're doing. doing. So yeah. listeners out there, if someone has to borrow your phone, you can either give them your phone or say, no, I don't want to lend you my phone. But you can't you respond with say, take off your clothes. Take off your clothes and I'll give you this phone. In the philosophy of the movie, to some extent, Brad and Janet are also monsters that have been made by society to like 
not admit to the things they want or right. the the things yeah. that their bodies actually care about. I I think what I love what in this section though is believes. is Brad. Brad is so determined to make this a normal situation. Brad is so determined mm-hmm. to like when he walks up to Frankenfurter and is like, "It's you know, I'm Brad. Great to meet you." And Frankenfurter's like. He didn't say, how the hell are you? But he might as well. He might as well, yeah. Frankenfurter shows up in a corset, full makeup on a throne, and Brad thinks he can handshake this. Frankenfurter, he's wearing the cape and everything, looking like Dracula. And he turns around in the lift, and Janet is freaking out. And she's like, I want to leave, I want to leave. And then she turns turns around and just sees Frankenfurter and faints. That amount of charisma that Tim Curry is emanating I would probably lose consciousness. I might not scream, but I mean, like, maybe I would, but not from fear. We're in this castle with Brad and Janet, and they have just been subjected to the time warp. Now they're being subjected to sweet transsexual. Yes. Now, this song I want to talk about because I want to talk about the word transvestite. Because we talked about the, the ensemble cast once being known as tranny, which is which yeah. is essentially a slur. 1975 was, was it yeah. in the 70s though i don't know the history of that i mean it it was still a slur but it was it was used a lot more like the same way that old the <laughs> older gay gentlemen call each other fag all the time i don't know i worry about how it gets when older generations of queer people are overly judged by modern standards especially when it's judging by modern standard speech from way, way in the past. Like the are terms thinking, were different. The language was different. The way it was used was different. Are you thinking like, like RuPaul in 2014 getting in trouble for using that word? And Well, that's the thing. RuPaul's using it in 2014. Yeah. Fucking no, but no better. Yeah. I'm saying like, the, if, pe- if people are digging up like RuPaul's videos RuPaul from like in 1986. Yeah. Yeah. And like judging him by that, I'm like, come on. Okay. A lot of this context I'm getting because in 1999, we had that was the big debut of Dress to Kill from Eddie Izzard. Mm. And she. Oh, I love her. Yes. Oh, she's it, so great, Eddie Izzard. And she was, she described herself as a transvestite. And, and this is before the transgender term really mm. took off. We had transsexual, but we didn't, the, the, the term transgender wasn't really utilized in the public conversation quite as much. You know, not, mm. not everyone knew the term. Yeah, I think um, her point in, in Dress to Kill was, well, I like girls, but I also like dressing like girls. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a fucking I, I think mood. It's also, I think yeah. her I understanding of, of, who she is Ooh, is evolved quite a bit as well. Because yes. th- at that point, Eddie Izzard used to dress as a woman on stage. And then when they were not on stage, would present as a man. Mm-hmm. And that has changed since. Yeah. Well, I, I also think that she had the fashion inclination and the identity inclination at the time. But presentation, especially somebody who is an actor, was very complicated. Yeah, I, I think in, in almost any case I can think of where... She was acting at that time. She was playing a male role and dressing male. It wasn't yes. as, as far as, and, and I know she's talked a great deal about this, so probably uh, better to listen to, to find that and listen to that than me. But I think her understanding of, of herself has changed quite a bit in that time as well. 
But when we talk about these words, I think it's also important that when at a certain time, there is a word that is the word you use, whether it's now interpreted as a slur or not, you know, and the word transvestite now is closer to that T slur. And we've mentioned some of these slurs fully in this episode and just for the academic purpose. But I think it's important to really mention those because it is so important to this movie's index where, you know, the sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania it's not just a fun play on words. It is an, a, you know, an ownership of those terms. Now these days, you know, it seems kind of goofy and tame and, and campy, but at the time, it's really important to talk about how open this movie was. There's a lot of things from that time that, that certainly talk about queerness, but this movie was so game-changing. I think, yeah. you know, Alicia and I were talking about this because she was editing the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 podcast while we were watching this. And it's like, oh, like in 1975, Rocky Horror came out. In 1985, he's playing significantly less in your face, significantly less queer. And his entire career is ruined for that part. Yeah. I feel like, again, like talk about what a difference it makes give who is behind the camera. Rocky R is a movie by queer people like that is steeped in and deeply beloved of queer culture. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is a queer movie made by people who are actively homophobic. Yeah. 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 It's had to be reclaimed. Like, there was yeah. no point at which Rocky Horror had to be reclaimed. And I, I think it's and I yeah. think like it's interesting to look at Rocky Horror Picture Show as a triumph of independent art as well. And that like this movie was supposed to have a much bigger budget and be a lot bigger, but the studio said we want to have big rock stars in these parts. Like they were talking about having Mick Jagger in this movie. And the director, Jim Sharman, really like fought for having the original cast of the play in this movie. I know Tim Curry had to have been like, well, I guess it was Tim Curry original cast. Well, I guess Tim yeah. Curry is one. his original cast. This is his screen mm-hmm. debut. Yeah. Is uh, this really his screen debut? Yeah. Because he is a revelation in this oh. film. Yeah, that's supposed God. to be Mick Jagger. Wow. Oh, Mick Jagger part. could fucking never. <laughs> Right, you want to like it is, has the makeup and Honestly, the drama and the lip liner. Yes. It's crazy. Oh, the lip liner is incredible. I just feel like, and you know, knowing that you said that the background characters are called trannies, so they're also yeah. supposed to be from Transylvania or I haven't figured out if they're earthlings or, or not. Yeah, that could require sh- more research. <laughs> Whether they just, are from transsexual Transylvania, in our production, they were considered aliens. Okay. We're from the planet because of transsexual, the, and that's why the name. Because otherwise, this movie just hits the same tropes of queer people are pedophiles, queer people are predatory, yeah. queer people are there to corrupt you. And I get that mm-hmm. the corruption is supposed to yeah. be celebrated mm. in this text, but it's just, it feels- I get that, yeah. A little like, mm-hmm. I mean, w- again, watching this in 2022. Yes. And looking back, is that what year it is? Good God, it's 2022. Ah. The plan does seem reversed. Like 1975, 
I, unfortunately, there are so many super unfortunate, did not last the test of time, age bad as hell. Yes. And like, even in my own like love of this movie and everything that it has done in my life personally, like recounting the plot, I have to ignore such like the misogyny, the virgin yes. whore, calling Janet a slut, calling her a whore. Like I am like literally like celebrating this movie and at the same time calling this woman out for her sexuality. And I know that this is such like vintage toxic yes. nonsense. And it is so weird and such a paradox to be like this, like tradition that I've been in since I was like 20 and was very important in my own like burgeoning sexuality and liberation process. And like coming to terms with like, what was, it was very hard in that moment to be LGBT at all in 20, 2000, yeah. the year 2000. Yeah. Different world Completely. from now. We did not have the sophistication. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was at the top of the chart. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you really look into it, there's a lot of problematic tropes going on yes. with the sexual predatory I, nature of it and everything. That's another issue. I feel like yeah. with this movie in particular, this is where the movie's kind of incomprehensibility works in its favor. Yes. Right. Like, there you go. I feel like this movie really invites you to not think about the big picture too much and just take each yeah. moment like, and just gotta take it like each yeah. moment in the present. I don't know, like, I feel like a movie that was more focused on plot would like really wouldn't hold up more than like this movie was just like feelings and images. Yeah, I, I think- when we talked about horror noir, it's been more than a year now at this point, but horror noir, they talk about the, the history of black people in film. And I think you could make a very similar, at least first section of that movie about queer people in film, which is they talk about how the, you know, the first times you see representations or actual black people in film, it's as monsters. They are playing the monsters. They are That's the other. Much. And I think that is true of this movie because not only is it taking place in the 1970s but it is referencing the 1950s it yes, is talking yeah. about king kong and it's talking about all these monsters and stuff that richard o'brien grew up seeing himself as these characters in the horror movies yeah. that he was the thing from another planet that he was the king kong he was the thing from the black lagoon that everybody's terrified and running away from that's the first time that he's seeing himself in a movie is as the monster. And in Rocky Horror, we're also seeing that. Like he, Frankenfurter is in a large part the, the monster of this movie, representing that same sort of parallel because they are hailing back to the late night double feature picture show where these sort of movies lived. And Frankenfurter is also like Medusa. Yeah. Oh yeah, it does. Ooh, I, I think there's. I think part of the appeal of queer villains is that villains are usually the ones having fun. So even if there's <laughs> villainous, there's something very appealing about seeing queer people just be like confident and enjoying themselves on yes. screen. Yes, yes. I love Scar. I, I literally, yeah, yeah like, like Scar, like Scar. Ursula. 
Ursula, who I also, and I wrote in my notes, never did anything wrong ever nope. at any point. Right. Nope. She was legally like, Ursula, correct. Exactly. The Power Rangers That's comic really just announced that. that there's going to be the first ever non-binary Power Ranger, and it's a villain, and they're a villain called the Death Ranger, and that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard, and I've never that's read them, and they're my new favorite character. Side note, <laughs> speaking of, like, coolest what things you've ever that? heard, I heard- Death colored. <laughs> I was listening to something, I was watching something, and apparently, like, Black people making anime characters Black people were talking about like the night skins that have gotten hold of this or whatever. And all of the black anime fans were like, night skins is the coolest fucking shit you could have ever called me. And I mentioned this to my students and they were like, Oh, Miss Whitley, we're fucking night skins now. And I was like, that sounds like, I kind of love that. That sounds like a racial slur for a fictional race from the blade. movie. I accept it. If that's that drow slur for me, instead of saying the N word, if you want to call me the night skin, um, <laughs> the new N word is night skin. I'm kind of into it, kind of <laughs> a little bit. But I actually need to go because I do have to get up like super. I have to get up at like five a.m. for work tomorrow morning, and then this one is leaving, so I'm gonna be like. I got to be ready to single parent for a little bit. Well, thank you so much for joining yes. us. Yes. This was oh, so, thank so, you for so, having me. It's always me. so much fun so having you. Oh, yes. no. It's always so much fun having a, you. Yes. And I really enjoyed our time together. on this. Absolutely. Oh, thank Deceptively, you. in spite of what we were just talking about, does not love the night, this one. Alicia, where yeah. can people find you online? I am currently a high school English teacher. But in short order, I will be a first year doctoral student. Air horns. You can find me at Alicia Whitley where I mostly tweet about education stuff. And I don't know, funny memes. Mary Shelley. And Mary Shelley, absolutely. Yes, so thank you all so much for having me and I will see you later. Thank you. Definitely breeze through the synopsis. I'm just also having thoughts about like, yeah, about how like Frankenfurter's intro is so like, oh, worship the queen. Whereas like the way Brad and Janet are introduced is like, look at these low, look at these loathsome creatures. (laughs) Like they are portrayed as like not who you want to be. Like Brad and Janet as like the They're hetero, so super normal. They are disgusting. Like we are disgusted by them immediately. We want to hate on them. We are screaming at them. And yeah. he is presenting them as these normies are slut. like, They're invading the wonderful sexual world of Frankenfurter. Like he put that label asshole on himself. Like, (laughs) so it's funny. It's like yes, Frankenfurter is the monster, but at the same time, the movie is siding with him, and it's funny that the movie throws in this like, yeah, well, Brad and Janet were corrupted. Well, the movie definitely is on two of two minds about this whole idea. Well, yeah, of corruption. It's so random that like it's riffraff that defeats Frankenfurter because like the movie definitely doesn't treat Frankenfurter's death as a triumph. But so Richard O'Brien sees himself as the monster. What do all these monsters have in common? They have kind of a, a damsel. And I'm postulating, especially because we have at the center of this film, Dr. Frankenfurter, that the relationship 
that is attractive about the duality of King Kong and Fei Ray is not that King Kong just wants love, is that King Kong, the other, wants what Fei Ray has. Because Frankenfurter is singing at that last point. Sorry, I don't want Yeah, I know. Like, that's the thing is that this is an idea. Whatever happened to Fay Ray, that beautiful satin draped frame yes. as it clung to her thigh, meaning her dress, how I wanted to cry because I wanted to be dressed just the same. Yeah. And there's a there's a an attraction there because there's and he wants to be dressed just the same. Yes. There's no question that that's like Richard O'Brien speaking yes. as mm-hmm. as writer and narrator yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, so, again, the end of the movie is Rocky takes Frankenfurter and then throws him over his shoulder and then climbs the RKO tower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, it, it's not subtle. Like, it, we do have this idea, especially because Rocky and, and Frankenfurter get married and go to their mm-hmm, bridal that's suite right. or whatever. Yeah. But the it's not just like, I want to have sex with this person. It's that's right. I want to embody this person yeah and this is a big important thing for the understanding of romance in queer relationships and mm-hmm. the understanding the the relationship between sexuality and identity and the difference mm. and the similarities that are in that really really complicated set of ideas i feel like historically we've had so much confusion and we still continue to be sorting this out the difference between gender and sexuality between wanting what you want to exude and what how you want to present and who you want to be with and and who you want to be romantically versus sex Actually, we didn't have any of this vocabulary. No. Like before really super recently. Yeah. When I was in high school, I was asexual, but I had no frame of reference for that. Mm -hmm. If I tried to establish myself as asexual, it was treated as a joke or a challenge. You know? Yeah. Right, right. But yeah, yeah. But still, that's like some more of the misunderstanding, really. It's like, it's like mixing things together and, and it's been that way if I, if I like going off of some of what we touched on before did anyone like, ever get cute though i think you meant you were capable of asexual reproduction or yeah. you were like i'm asexual it's like so you could just well, make a new like a baby just by yourself like that's crazy i didn't have the word asexual yeah honestly like i in the 90s i did not have the word i was like i there were none of these words yeah. yeah, it was later in college when that was like really challenged. And yeah, there, well, like, I'm there has like, been, you don't look like Batman's canine companion. <laughs> there has been historically and yes. we're only just now getting to the place where people have clarity on the freaking difference between even transgender and just cross dressing. Right. Yeah. Like just even just like um movies in which the serial killer is a man who dresses like a woman and the other characters refer to that person as transgender or transsexual. Yeah. Well, I feel like the go-to Just not caring movie about in that example is Silence of the Lambs. But that movie oh. has this whole like yeah, three-line thing where it's almost like this disclaimer where they're like, Buffalo Bill's not a real transgender person. This doesn't, yeah. this doesn't count. We're not being transformed right. against like- I mean. Or it's better than not having this disclaimer. Like it's oh, better yeah. than God, not having this disclaimer, funny. but I don't think this is gonna blunt the impact. Ace Ventura is more transphobic than 
Oh my Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Absolutely. Oh my. Ace Ventura is probably the single most transphobic film I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And I saw it a lot as a kid. I, mean, I, I remember people coming to me like when I was in high school and this would have been in the 90s and they were like early 90s and I was young and like, they're like, that movie was, the end of that movie was so gross. And I was like, yeah, cause everybody's vomiting. That was really gross. And they're like, no, that's not what I was talking about. The, what Ugh. he did was, and I'm like, Oh my god! Even then, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There is like no space for yeah. the okay. I mean, I will I was say like, the though, vomit was the gross part. What a Dan Marino cameo! <laughs> Great appearance by Dan Marino. One of the, I mean, On the in the tier in the tier of John Marino can and films. I think this is the first and last film. There's this, and then there's you know Brett Favre, and there's something about Mary, right? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's interesting because you also have movies that are trying to do something like The Crying Game, which like has a is a, definitely the first portrayal I remember seeing of a trans person where they are portrayed as as a, a good person. In, in I feel like, movie. A, but also it era. also has somebody vomiting as soon as they see that somebody has a penis. So I mean, it's in, terms in of, so many shows, the vomit. Is, yeah. In terms of a movie from ye olden days that deal with trans issues, but don't include vomiting when people learn about people being trans. But again, it was, and it's also because it was a true story, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Steve Cazeal or something of that. But yes, and they are robbing a bank to try to get money so Al Pacino's girlfriend can have a gender reassignment surgery. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. And that was also Dog Day Afternoon, also 1975. Just like that. Huh. Okay. John Cazale, who only appeared in five movies before he died, all five of which were nominated for Best Picture. Wow. Yeah. And like, I'm reminded that Frankenfurter canonically has a giant dick. I mean, he has a dick. We can clearly see. And, and they're referring to it throughout the movie, at least in the callback lines. So, I mean, we're referring to him as a, a sweet trans best day in the song but that's not like it's again I mean, this confusing I can say of transgender and cross-dressing from my yeah. non-binary perspective there's a very appealing androgyny and blending of gender expression that's, that i find very appealing that's i think the thing it's like really he like tra frankenfurter just seems like beyond gender yeah well frankenfurter i mean they use the he him yeah yes. yeah yes yeah, but there's there's there is the the presentation situation there that is also the fact that he is able to somehow perfectly disguise himself both physically and with a voice as Janet and Brad to the yes! other. Right? So, right. Yeah. so I really want to I want to roll on through the rest of the recap here so we right. can talk Do about it. some more. Yeah. Um, so uh, he seduces both Brad and Janet successfully. Then Riff Raff chases Rocky off. Janet and Rocky then have a of sexy times in Rocky's like incubation tank. tank. Yeah, yeah, and that's touch me. No, nothing to look into there. No, nothing deeper to delve yeah. into. While Columbia and Magenta watch and yeah. make out with each other so Good for them yeah but like that's the thing is this, this movie 1975 they were making out with each other brad was spread eagle under tim curry 
like they they show that it's in i yep. finally see it in hd where you can actually see to <laughs> makeup through the 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 sheer curtain oh, right. but before it was just silhouettes mm-hmm. but and honestly the way that this movie presents this i think is really important because it wasn't like a gasp moment it was just part of a greater narrative that was funny and it wasn't different like both brad and janet have almost exactly the same lines yeah and they, they both agree to it without much hesitation once it becomes a question of like oh well my partner won't find out well then yeah, no. yeah. All right. those like scenes in the current context is like oh man that does not that does not age well that no. does not age well and it, it, it and it makes me think of just like how like that was seen as only seduction and nothing else when like we were looking at this movie in the like end of the 90s like oh yeah and it's just like oh man so many times i'm just reminded of just the degree to which the like just it's this rape culture basically that is like it's part of that it's just like the normalization of things which we would now consider like like there were things which behavior which in the 90s would be like just like yeah it was just sex and nothing more and now we would be like no there's a thing called consent which needs to happen which was not even a a thing we talked about yeah and 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 yeah when you talk about this person at your class at your french class yeah like i I need only sexually liberated people yes which is an interesting thing because in the 70s you have the this idea of sexual and in the 60s -hmm. before that with like you Mm -hmm. know the hippie movement and everything is this idea of sexual liberation where you just have to fucking forget it yeah and there is a violent rejection of these ideas and then that, yeah. because it's such a violent rejection and because it just is completely going in the opposite direction, yeah. the idea of the ceremony of consent. Yeah. Very... It was seen as prudish at that moment. Yeah. It was seen as regressive because it was seen as, no, you're holding back this letting go sexuality that we want to pour ourselves into. And that's, yeah. that's part of the resistance. It's not the entire resistance, but it was at least what the excuse for the resistance towards it was. I think the reality was like, there was not just readiness for e- equality yet, but you know, yeah, well, uh, I mean, definitely the excuse was that. I mean, I do wonder how many was people delaying seen this the, in 75 would have seen a difference between that first moment where uh, Frankenfurter is, is pushing themselves on the person and that moment where they accept it because like in in both cases they willingly accept sleeping with frankenfurter but it is very clear in the movie that previous to that frankenfurter has already sexually made moves on them that are not yeah. just not limited to laying down and kissing yeah and the symbolism the symbolic language of this movie being a cartoon that it is feels more or less like characters. There's the complexities of actual relationships going on. It is more about the, these ideas hitting each other. And, but what I want to talk about with that particular sequence is that Brad and Janet react to Frankenfurter exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Also Brad doesn't say anything about Frankenfurter being a dude. Right. He doesn't even, He's just like, well, if you won't tell Janet. Yeah. It's the yeah. only qualm he has. 
Yeah. And that, I think that moment for me, because actually that is where right before that, that is where I started watching the movie when I saw it the first time. It, It was so suddenly like, oh, no one's vomiting and no one's freaking out. Yeah, like, this, is, this is just That's- like Dr. Frankenfurter is seducing both of them because it's not gender or sex or whatever. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's just you have an attractive person, an attractive person. It's a mirror. It's sem- symmetrical across the, the two genders, which in itself was like yes. radical for that. Yes. Yeah. And so after that, we have the, the discovery of Dr. Scott coming in discovery of yeah um, dr uh, scott arrives he has somehow heard about frankenfurter's celebration he's there because he has heard about he has been hunting down frankenfurter for a long time because he is aware that frankenfurter is an alien and that frankenfurter is working on a a weapon of a anti-matter And something that he himself has been working on. And he's an ex-Nazi working for the United States uh, government, which is a situation that there were Nazis in. Operation Paperclip. Yes, he is an Operation Paperclip person. And he has hidden from his previous. So he just happens to show up on the same night that Brad and Janet just happened to have broken down and which just happens to be the birthday of Rocky. Don't worry about it. He also happens to be looking for his nephew, Eddie, who is only recently deceased. Yeah. Yes. Very recently deceased. He is just very just a little bit too late. To yeah, uh, this movie believes in like, why have one thing happen when five things can be happening? Yeah, Yeah, it takes a lot of time. Because yeah. because basically right after that, they realize that they're eating Eddie at uh, yeah. the, the dinner scene. And then everybody is got turns into stone and then they turn back from stone. And now they're all fantastic. And um, they have the a floor, floor show. show. They have the floor show. I the really floor show like, is this very like out of like it's almost meta in its way. It's like, like Frankenfurter's like, now we're going to just perform together. <laughs> like, yeah. to- I like the plot word backwards from its starting point of how do we justify an underwater burlesque orgy. <laughs> I, Which you is know, what I, happens. Yeah. Yeah. So they have a floor show and everyone is in a corset. Everyone is in fish, fishnets, including Dr. Scott. And although I don't know if he's in a corset, actually, but he is definitely. In, and everyone's doing the turn, turn, kick, turn. Then they have their underwater orgy and then Riff Raff and Magenta show up and show their true colors and say, you know, incredible Flash Gordon alien costume. I love yes. costumes. They're so yes. great, like 70s sci-fi. Yeah. And they are dressed as Transylvanians. Yes. They're they are they're, like, we are done with this planet and we are done with working for you, Dr. Frankenfurter. Your lifestyle's too extreme. We are going back to Transylvania. And well, it seems like Riff Raff's real motivation is that he thinks nobody likes him. Also that. Yeah, well, well he's, he's in love with his master, it seems. Yeah, and, and specifically, it seems- He's frustrated. Frankenfurter Frank yeah. is supposed to be making this weapon that they're there to investigate, but he has gotten sidetracked uh, with all of his he's depravity. He's gotten way sidetracked. Yeah. But guess who has the weapon? It's Riff Raff. It's a beam of pure antimatter. I do love this like trident gun. Yeah, yeah, this trident gun that he shoots antimatter at Rocky and he just shrugs it off. 
Back of steel. Yeah, back of shoulder of steel. Also antimatter. I'm not sure how that works quantum physically, but He's you know, so buff. He's I, resistant I, to <laughs> antimatter. Yeah, He's very. Um, that's so buff. Yeah, Doctor Frankenfurter is destroyed tragically, yeah. and. Mm-hmm. A lot of this floor show comes from this like low moment in Dr. Frankenfurter where he seems to be trying to just force ahead his progress in a like kind of a swan song situation. And mm. he f- falls dramatically into the water and Rocky picks him up and tries to, to save him. And yeah. then the ship, the castle flies back up to go back to their their planet needs them or whatever. And then Rocky uh, falls because, well, he is antimatter proof. The tower he is climbing the tower is, he's not. Climbing um, is not. The RKO. Now, and also this floor show has a backdrop that says an RKO radio picture, which is basically yeah. like, we're talking about the 50s. The way that this movie is so self-aware and so like so much of a self-parody, especially like right down to the acting where Susan Sarandon and what's the name of the guy that plays Barry Bostwick. Barry Bostwick. Total gorgeous, 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 gorgeous people. And both just hamming, everyone hams it up perfectly. Mm -hmm. But everybody is playing a character that is a self-parody. So, you know, in a way, I feel like the overt, like, sexuality of these characters and that sort of forceful, old-timey bromance, which is actually assault, situation Mm -hmm. is also just like an analog for this is an idea or this is a this is just like how the criminologist talks about emotion and how it takes over and all this kind of stuff and so it's less of a an an idea of somebody getting literally violated and more of like somebody getting their world opened up right yeah that can definitely be a very problematic parallel and I think this movie is is just dumb enough that it it kind of skirts for me but I also know because I've I've done like so much watching of the the documentaries and stuff like I have that much yeah uh, of understanding of that text so like it's totally valid to be like this is really fucking rapey yeah yeah one thing that the Rocky Horror Picture Show has that other movies don't is it has this potential to grow beyond itself and to like acquire layers that aren't in the original movie because of they have the layer of the callback lines and the callback lines are this evolving like colossal like quant like a uh, 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 repertoire of things that you say that you yell to the movie and yeah. like i know a fair amount of them i do not know all of them and i don't think a- anyone actually does i was researching the callback lines just to like refresh ones that i had forgotten and there are a lot of different like whole scripts of callback lines that you can find. They have different ones. They're regional. They, some of them are updated with like Justin Bieber in them, which was not in the original old school callback line. So they, they are evolving and they have the potential to evolve a lot of messed up stuff is in the callback lines like calling janet a slut and so on and a lot of like this sort of like 
toxic past is lingering in them. But there's mm-hmm. a p- potential because the callback lines are not embedded in the movie. And they're not embedded anywhere. You have to hear them spoken in order to learn them or go online and read them on a script on a wiki page and then like practice them with the movie. They're not something that is recorded anywhere. Where. there's not yeah. a single like it's an in oral stone tradition. yes it's yeah. an oral tradition actually and it's a morphing one it's not there's not a concrete single tradition there's a few that are well known but that doesn't mean anything there's not none of them that like need to stay as they are so that's like an evolving layer of text and the second way that rocky horror can evolve is that it's it's also performed with human beings in front of the movie and -hmm. those human beings can be any type of body that you want and they are performing the movie and they can write a different movie they have a lot of like ability to like just make adjustments visually to the movie that's on the actual screen, make, like do commentary feedback, make yeah. like modern living people like with agency to have a dialogue with what is frozen, what is already said and done on the movie screen. And another way is it's also like a Broadway show, right? We have a few yeah. productions out there. And in the Broadway show, I mean, it's not the movie at all. It's a, a whole different thing once you get into like people just singing on the stage with not the movie in the background. It is the movie, but it's not the movie. And yeah. so you can recast people like like we've seen different genders, different races, different body types. So Rocky has ways that it can evolve and have modern people have a living dialogue with it, which a lot of movies don't have. Yeah. And that's a really important aspect of this film because a lot of people not only saw these new ideas in the movie, which were just about it as in your face as Dr. Frankenfurter coming in and, and giving you a smooch, but or taking off your clothes. Which <laughs> right. Sometimes that's like just seeing the scene of, for some people of, of Tim Curry, like on top of uh, Brad, is that yeah. like, oh, okay. But also there are these people that are exploring these characters and these roles. Yeah. And there's no real, like, it's not a, it's not a play standard. Like these were all just independent troops of mm-hmm. fun loving people that were just free form. And yeah. there were some stuff that I'm sure there's like in any independent group of community of niche interests. Some, I'm sure some things happened that weren't great, but a lot of people had a space to explore identity and gender and sexuality and all of these different things. Like our, the group that I mostly saw in Sacramento was called under sedation. And they, instead of doing the dinner scene, cause they were like, we think the scene is boring. So instead we're just going to play spin the dildo. Yes. And they played spin the dildo. And then they would like, give well, it was like spin the bottle, but it was a dildo and they would give each other little smooches. Yeah. And then I know other, other folks would in for the, the silhouette scene, they mm-hmm. wouldn't actually interface with each other behind the not that they were there was any sort of intercourse or anything like that it was just like yeah 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 yeah. but some of them would use barbies and do Ah! like a projector and use barbies so there's like all of this 
crazy creative stuff that's going on that is just this little jump like jump off point for you know not just acting yeah jumping to the left so is this movie feminist oh wow yeah we talk about queer issues i don't think this movie is particularly feminist that's really an interesting Um, question there's certainly themes around queerness and gender identity but in terms of like actual feminist themes or the way women are treated in this movie i don't think particularly so i could see that i could see that and it addresses the concept of female sexual liberation in a clumsy way also I do appreciate the fact that in this movie, unlike a lot of the movies which it would be parodying, Janet is given the the freedom to be the horny one in the couple. Like mm-hmm. Brad is. I like never... that Janet gets what she wants. Jay, that's yeah. the most this part. Honestly, Janet just being like, "Well, I'm, screw this, I'm going to sleep with Rocky," is probably maybe my the most feminist part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is Janet's reclaiming of her sexuality and taking control, even if it's yeah. And- I guess it's, well, I guess it's more consensual for Rocky than it is with, than it is with Frankenfurter, mm-hmm. or like That's for Rocky, it's more consensual Janet than it is really for both of them. It's more consensual for each other than it was with Frankenfurter. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, it's really just a question of whether only hours old, totally buff man with very little intelligence is capable of <laughs> consenting. I mean, he had half of the question for the ages. <laughs> Eddie was an I adult. mean, look, he had half of Meatloaf's brain, so he had at least a quarter of a brain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. But the, the song, also the song Touch Me is so joyous. Mm, you know, it's it's yes. one of the more like happy, upbeat songs in the movie. That's like true. the transsexual song is very like, like burlesque. I love Magenta and Columbia singing along to it as they're peeping on the monitor, but they are like, they start, they start out making fun of her, but they really get into it. Yeah. It's like the movie passes the Bechdel test because they're talking about Janet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. yeah. Passed, you're right. We passed the Bechdel test. Congratulations. Barely. You did it. It's feminist. It passed the Bechdel Woo! test. One line. I mean, Bechdel test passed. Officially feminist. Barely. I mean, I passed the best Bechdel Confetti! test. Like that's a that might be a D minus just because most of the all of the women in this movie it's still passing. That's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Also, it's uh, a dick, but you know. <laughs> yes, very. Thank you. That was good. It's late. Well, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, yes. The the fact that all of the women in this movie are in a relationship with a man. Yes, they're also in a relationship with Frankenfurter, but they're also like, Columbia loves Eddie. Magenta loves Riff Raff. Mm. Janet loves and, Rocky and Brad. Well, and, you know, mm. look, two out of three are incest. So Not that's two, like just one. A D mm. on the, that's like, it's two, that's a 66% of relationships in this movie are non-incest. But that's what I'm saying, D minus. I think that the diversity of bodies amongst the unconventional conventionalists is a strength because they are portrayed as like fun people. Like they are not, they're portrayed as like, they're all wearing these like fun bow ties that are all rainbow colors and they're dancing, they're happy, they're partying. 
they're having a good time. And then they all do the time warp and uh, and have the time warp group sex. I well, feel like there's body diversity that you get to see them. There's also, they're supposed to be the scientific community, essentially, because they're <laughs> unconventional true. conventionalists. Like yeah. they're, they're here to sort of be part of the forum to which Dr. Frankenfurter is is presenting as if this is a dissertation because yes this is like i mean that he's going to have sex with yeah the lab is set up as an anatomical theater kind of yeah that's right if we take it to an extreme you know we could also see it as Uh, you know representation uh, of like aristocratic interesting deviance but are we talking about class now there's that rich weirdos comment yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's Hunting a lodge for rich weirdos. Yeah, the, yeah, like the idea of the deviant aristocrats, mm-hmm. and then also these these you know characters in a castle yeah. and stuff like that. I think that mm-hmm. that's more of a meta commentary on on monsters in the '50s films, mm-hmm. and where they exist in terms of the relatability to queer audience. But interesting point. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from. But again, that is that is about class. We yeah. can't ignore that. That's true. And Brad and Janet are suburban they're not they're very literally middle class yeah this movie explores the difference between the middle class and the castle class (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the motorcycle class the motorcycle class where the the convention the unconventionalists come in on those motorcycles yeah that's what the motorcycles are about they all arrive on motorcycles like two per motorcycle and and brad describes them as like thinking that life is very cheap Yes, for that type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Brad and Janet are not. How much can life be really be worth? Like $8? It's I mean, just a life, Michael. How much could it be worth? $10? In this economy. So now, I'm pretty sure the value of life is the only thing that's gone down in this economy. And um, yeah, Frankenfurter lives in a world where he has a maid and a butler. Yeah. I mean, it is a kind of. But they're not really his maiden butler, though. They're not real. They're they're his like spaceship. Is this a movie about the working class rising up to kill their boss? (gasps) I think a little bit, actually. Actually, there's a little bit of that vibe when Riff Raff rises up to kill his boss. Yeah, his master. His he calls him master the whole time. Yeah, and he is whipped. Yes, by by and Frankenfurter whips him and beats him. That's right. Yeah. Even though yeah. they're all the same, like they should be all the same. I mean, I don't know how class. It's works kind on, of on wild. Yeah, like they're playing this pastiche of that relationship the whole movie long, and then either Riff Raff rebels out of that, or they reveal that it was a a, a kind of play the whole. Yeah, time. that it was. Well, that when, they were just when Riff Raff comes back at the end. He is no longer hunchback. He is no longer yeah. playing this right. part of the servant. Yeah. He is he is an alien. They are, in theory, aliens playing a part from a horror movie that they have they're yes. acting in. Yeah. Well, That's I mean right. Raff is literally Igor. Like he's That's right. He's playing Igor. At the end, he's I'm your new commander. So he's just taking charge of the mission. Yeah. Yeah, his, oh, but he's so he's such a pretty he's the prettiest Igor there ever was. He's the best Igor. Yeah, he has and the silvery outfit. And, yes. and yeah, the, he's playing a hunchback and Richard O'Brien is so freaking dull. 
Like, oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's so rare for a hunchback to still be the tallest person in the room. <laughs> but it's, it's great why. for his character. It just makes it it's such a character actor thing. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, race. There are there nothing. are three people who aren't white, um, and they're in the background, and they might be aliens. Right. And that's a yeah. discussion of race. Yeah. So, uh, do we recommend we see this movie? That- Quote my my student and now friend's dad. You have to see it. <laughs> it's um, historical. It should, it, 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 it should be required viewing. Yes. Yeah. And I would highly recommend seeing it in a context where you can hear people scream at this movie. Yes. Try to yeah. see it in a public setting. This is not one for by yourself at home if you can help it. This is go to a show and go to a live theater production. Like, see this with people. think you could see it once alone just to see the movie but then it doesn't it probably won't make sense unless you see it and it's where it was intended to be seen (laughs) yeah the the i would recommend seeing it with somebody who knows the callbacks yeah but somebody who will be gentle with you yeah Yeah, someone will be gentle and will prepare you yeah like you could see it at home or in the theater with the with the ensemble cast but like for me, I mostly watched it so I could practice the callbacks. Yeah, yes. That's how I watch it these days as well. Yeah, but I'm watching it for this podcast. I actually felt a particular kind of joy and really just kind of appreciating it because it's not an expensive movie and that shows, but it still is really well made. It you has know? so much heart. Like heart yeah. is just like in every frame of this movie. Yeah, yeah like and it's just so iconic. And that there's that bit where Frankenfurter is extending his gloved hand slowly towards, <laughs> and it's so good. And it is it is completely different. Kind of, like this is after Sweet Transvestite, mm-hmm. so it's a completely different kind of like look of the character because we see this character out of just larger than life, and now they're just like some weirdo. It's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> um, after they've after he's like rejected Brad's like. How the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot there. If nothing else, this is worth watching just for Tim Curry just acting his ass off and doing yeah. an accent that doesn't exist in the real world. It's <laughs> just Good. like going for it. Like just deciding on this character and making it happen. It's two recommendations. Yes. Yes. Kathleen, what did you get to recommend? Wait, if what? someone likes this movie, is there anything else you'd recommend for them? Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, that's a good oh, one. Oh, it's a good wreck. Yeah. Emily, what have you got? I am going to go with Phantom of the Paradise, which is a Brian De Palma Phantom of the Opera take with a lot of this wacky wild shit of the 70s. Mm. So, yeah, that's a, it's a crazy one. Uh, ben, yeah. What about you? I am going to recommend Venom. Let there be carnage because it is dumb and gay. Same level and of camp. It, there's no musical moments, but God, imagine if Venom. Oh, I hope Venom Three is a musical. <laughs> Separation anxiety, the musical. Is is Venom from Transsexual Transylvania? I believe that is the planet of the symbiotes and the Dummy Patron. <laughs> okay. Alicia obviously recommends Frankenstein. That's her. Uh, mm. The recommendation there. The one thing that was on my mind as I was watching this and as we were talking about sort of the rage expressing itself in, in parts of this story, I'm currently reading a 
a book called Iron Widow. It is uh, listed as teen fiction. That's wild. That's a wild listing because it is a book that does in the first four chapters what you're expecting it to do in an entire trilogy of books. Like it has so much like this character in it has just so much pent up rage and so much going on in this story that like you think you know where the book is going and like three chapters in it's already past that point and you're like oh what the hell is the rest of this book you know it's it's a wild ride and it's just it's been a joy to read it's fantastic definitely recommend it yes it, it's it's very influenced by anime but it's like more it's so yeah. much more and it's like if you took a lot of the cool ideas from anime and then fixed it like took out the the shit that bothers you yeah the character is sort of taking out some shit on her society and i think you can very much feel sheeran behind the scenes doing the same thing with their society just like what if this anime didn't suck what if this thing wasn't terrible what if there wasn't like all of this horrible uh misogyny and all of this stuff Mm. (laughs) what if we burned it all down yeah i've read a good chunk of this and i read also the graphic novel squire which i'll talk about another time this weekend and they both have a very let's just burn it all down (laughs) feeling yeah squire is very good awesome yeah definitely read squire squire was one that i sat down with thinking i was going to read like a chapter and a few hours later i had read the entire 300 page graphic novel amazing yeah well that's uh, that's all for us here kathleen can you let people know where they can find out more about you and your work online pretty much my instagram which is at conscious dust nice such a dope name so dope. She's a dope artist Aww. and a dope love. <laughs> you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all their books, including the brand new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel from Great Beginnings and the Glad Award nominated Renegade Rule graphic novel. And finally, not sure how brand new it is anymore, <laughs> but super I appreciate brand new for the year. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, there you, there you go. go. Okay, in that case, yeah, totally. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58, and on my website at jeremywhitley.com, where you can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified on our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod. We would love to hear from you. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you would rate and review this podcast where you listen to it right now. It helps us find new listeners. It helps spread the good word, and we would love it if you do that. Thanks again so much to both Alicia and Kathleen for joining us tonight. This has been a ball, guys. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. much. Thank you for having yes, me. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Frankenfurter Emeritus. Ah, ah, I love it. And thanks as well, of course, to Emily and Ben. And thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified.